Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you're tuning in from or when you're tuning in later. I'm Kate Luzio, founder and CEO of Luminary, along with my co-host, Susan Chapman-Hughes, and you are tuned into Navigating the Work Compass. Last week, we're back. Uh, last week, we had the pleasure of talking to Mita Malik, who is the head of inclusion, equity, and impact at Carta, and also a creator here on the LinkedIn platform. And next week, we have conversations around accelerated hiring. However, this week, you're going to hear from Susan and I talking a bit about proximity bias. And this has actually, Susan, been all over LinkedIn on this platform through a great friend of mine and, and I call a mentor, Caroline Fairchild, talking about proximity bias. And for those of you that don't know what proximity bias is, and I'm actually going to read a little bit, it is the idea that employees with close proximity to their leaders are seen as better workers. And that may affect how managers evaluate performance. By the way, Susan, you and I've seen this through our whole career. Yes. This will potentially penalize women, people of color, and working parents the most as these groups are spending less time in the office than their peers or perceived less time in the office as their peers. 84% of men in, that work in the office or some of the time versus 79% of women feel like proximity bias could be a problem. Um, so, I mean, sorry, 84% of men work in the office all or some of the time compared to 79% of women. And that doesn't even touch on people of color or working parents. So that's what we're gonna talk about and the creation or the evolution of what we've always had as women in the workforce and people of color haves and have nots. Yes, and so it's very interesting because we always like to see what kind of studies are out there and the data that's coming out. And there was an interesting study that came out last year um, that was done by Indiana University. And the summary basically was that a, a study found that women, younger individuals, and those with lower levels of formal education and people of color are the ones who've been hit the hardest mm. um, by COVID-19 and the effects of it over the last couple of years. And so we certainly knew that these populations had challenges before the pandemic for a number of reasons, and the pandemic has exacerbated those issues. And what's fascinating is, um, you know, I always like to kind of like take the data and then match it with like anecdotal conversations yeah. that I've had with people and like, just what are we hearing on the street? And the interesting thing is um, what I've found with various groups of these populations. And so let me just kind of like break them down into a couple of different groups. So the first one is around women. We've talked a lot about women in terms of the impacts of the pandemic on women, the number of women who've had to drop out of the workforce who are really struggling. I've got a really good friend who's been out of the workforce for a number of reasons, um, mostly health driven and is trying to come back and it's just been really hard for her. I have another friend who dropped out of the workforce to take care of her child. Um, her child is now five, six years old and she's been trying to come back into the workforce and the amount of just drama and craziness that the two of them have experienced of people who have said, oh yeah, we really like you, we like your background. They either wanna bring them in at the most junior level right. of the organization, or they're like just putting them through all kinds of paces of craziness that I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Like somebody needs to break the cycle of mm -hmm. that drama. The second um, group of people that I have been um, just kind of touching in with are 
quote, people with lower levels of education. And, and those are the people who are like the young lady who bags, who's the cashier at the grocery mm -hmm. store up the street that I just kind of like check in with how you doing? How's it going? And, you know, one of them was just telling me like, hey, look, this has been so hard for her. She has to work. Um, she's got two little kids. She's a single parent. She's trying to drive um, better outcomes for her kids, but between Zoom school um, and having access to the kind of equipment and support that she really needs for them to have been successful over the last year and a half. And the uncertainty of what happens when the virus gets worse and, you know, them making flash decisions to pull kids out of school. And the fact that um, there are a lack of people available to work. Mm -hmm. Shifts have been longer, which she's appreciative of the opportunity to get over time, but it's actually wearing on her. And she's like really tired because one day I went to the store. I was like, are you OK? She's like, I'm just having a really hard time because her son had actually gotten sick. And she was like, what am I going to do? So there's a, that whole group of people. And then, you know, certainly layered into that are people of color. Look, we know for a fact, despite the fact that there's a whole group of people out there who think that people of color, this is their time. Right. Not really their time. <laughs> you know, they're not getting hired at, at, a great, at greater rates as before. They're probably getting more visibility right. for roles that they hadn't had in the past. And hopefully the push from an ESG perspective that many companies are having to feel as a result of being publicly traded um, and having large investor groups that are having expectations around this are going to push that further. But if you look at the sheer numbers, the sheer numbers haven't really moved that much. And I do think that we're going to see more people focus on how do you get these folks back into the workforce and into their companies? Because um, the proxy advisors, whether it's um, um, ISS or Glass-Lewis or the large major institutional investors, yeah. whether it's BlackRock or um, State Street and others are now saying, look, we want to see disclosures around like who's in your workforce, what are they doing? And then finally, um, the shareholders are beginning to really exercise their muscle. I think you saw more... Um, situations in the past cycle of annual meetings where shareholder proposals were actually approved um, that were not in agreement with management. And that is something that if you're sitting on a corporate board, you certainly should be paying close attention to because more and more activism from shareholders and yeah. not, you know, the big institutional investors all the time, but from retail shareholders um, are going to actually start to come to bear. Well, and you're seeing the exchanges put those since the same too, right? We're not going to take you public. We're not going to, unless you disclose, yes. right? And we're not going to take you public unless you look at, you know, what that diversity looks like. And it's not just, you know, the one person. And I think that's going to evolve. I mean, we're seeing that. We're also seeing that companies can no longer just walk the walk. They have to, they can't just talk, right? They've right. got to walk the talk. Yeah, I want to take it back to one thing that you talked about, that sort of middle population. I think so much of the conversation, and I think in particular here on LinkedIn, is around that white collar workers, right? They're going yeah. into an office environment or, or, or not if they're working remotely. Um, and we talked a little bit about this last week, the service workers, hospitality, retail. Um, one of the great sort of anecdotes that I heard, this is very early in the pandemic, a great friend of mine who runs a company called Lively, they have brick and mortar stores as well as an online presence, Michelle Cordero Grant, who's the founder and CEO me and said, I don't know what to do. I have an, a phenomenal employee who works in a store. And this is after lockdown in New York was kind of reopening. And she said, but she's a single parent. She can't come into the store every day. I don't know what to do. And sort of we talked to her and said, listen, are there other jobs or roles within the company 
that she could excel at from her home, right? So yeah. she doesn't have to figure out childcare for now. And she became in, she worked in, she worked in customer service and mm -hmm. she became a superstar in that world. Now that still leaves Michelle at the organizational level a problem because she needs a worker to come into that store. Yeah. But in this case, just having that conversation around what her skills were, what was her challenge, creating solutions versus throwing more problems, not only for that individual, that employee, um, which then they're likely to leave, or for the organization actually came out as a win-win. And yeah. it provided a new job opportunity for someone that wanted to work in that store. Um, small, right, these small steps, but actually when you think of company policy yeah. and behaviors that you're putting into place, this actually has a can have a very good ripple effect. Yes, um, absolutely. Right? But the interesting thing about it, Kate, in, in this, look, you and I have both seen this, is large organizations do really great on policy. They do terrible on scaling the actual yes. implications of the policy. And so, you know, I think you know, as we talk about this kind of whole like proximity ballot, uh, bias, the first thing is like, do you even know who fall into these populations on your team? Like, do you know who the women on your team are? Do you know who the younger um, individuals are, the folks, who, you know, who quote, have lower levels of education? Do you know who the people of color are in your organization? If you don't know who they are, it's going to be very difficult for you to actually address the issues. I was actually um, in a conversation with um, some folks who are trying to do better at driving more people of color to more senior levels in the organization because they recognize that, A, the business case calls for it. The customer of the future is diverse. It isn't you know, reflective in their workforce. And so they get all of that. And so I was just asking some tactical questions like, okay, so do you actually know who they are? Do you have a talent review that allows you to review like where they are? And do they have, do you have a true career plan for each one of them? Yes. And are you actually sticking to it? So, you know, look, I've worked in situations where we had all of that, but every time there was a new opportunity that came up, nobody ever went to those sheets of paper and said, Hey, right. let's go get this person who's actually ready. They literally were just like, oh, well, oh, we did. We have that. Oh, I forgot all about that. Yeah. So it was a performative exercise that the company required them to do, but they didn't actually put it into action. And part of the putting it into action is like taking it into consideration on a regular basis. It can't just be the one time a year when you have talent reviews. It has to be, okay, well, these people are on my team. These are what my leaders look up. This is what they look like. This is what their development plan looks like. I'm actively involved in making sure that they're reaching the goals on their development plan yeah. and that they're actually, you know, pushing forward. Look, I look back on um, all the managers I've had in my career, and I literally have had one manager who actively like read the paper, ingested what I wanted, put that in context for what the company wanted and actually continued to work with me over time to make that happen. And, you know, it's not that I didn't have well-meaning managers, but like he was the only one who actually like was like, hey, look, I'm really invested. I'm invested in your success. I want to give you the road, the runway and the opportunity to get this experience. And I'm cool with it, you know, not giving me shine or like whatever. And so to this day, um, all of the people that were on his team are all doing very well and we're all still very close to him. Like he created yeah. this just really awesome group of, of folks and we also help and support each other. And so I think if you do it right as a leader, you can create these ancillary effects that really help you. But 
you know, do you know the people? Do you understand like what their expectations are, what their goals are? And I'm seeing a very big misalignment um, today between a lot of folks who are out here trying to hire mm. and what people's expectations are. And this is where you're seeing like the yin and yang and the give yeah. the, and push. I mean, even for people who are in quote, blue collar jobs, like they've got all the power right now, right? You know, cause yeah. you need them, <laughs> you know, here we are have, you know, people making changes around um, quarantine to create opportunities for people to get back to work. I mean, the healthcare system right now is really buckling under the pressure because they can't get enough people who are qualified, who want to, and who are healthy enough to come to work. And so they're having to like make all these accommodations for it. And so that means that, you know, that gives them power, right? On the, gives the supply folks um, the opportunity to have more power uh, around what's happening. Yeah, and we've been talking about this, Susan, since we started this, since we started navigating the work compass, which I think we mentioned last week on our show. You know, this started as we were talking about it, and mm -hmm. it was, uh, it, it's such an important topic, all of these topics, and yet we're still we were here talking, talking about it, and about we were pissed that. about what was and happening. We were, exactly, exactly, <laughs> and we were like, wait a second, we, we're two very seasoned leaders in the in the world, and let's let's get out there and talk, and then bring in those relevant guests and voices. Um, but one of the things that you talked about, this idea of having good managers and you know creating a development plan and not just BS, right? Like we always, I mean, I did the same. It's like, put your development plan, what are your milestones? Are your managers tracking them? Are they actually giving you real feedback around where you're missing the mark or you're, you're excelling, right? Not just the BS again of the corporate speak. I think this still goes back to and we've talked about it many times, people management, right? Mm -hmm. And are we creating the best people managers that we can? Normally that path to promotion is giving someone a manager role. And yeah. are we actually creating the best managers? Not for leadership as a side, managers right. who manage people, whether they manage one or they manage thousands. And I think the pandemic through such a wrench into, wait, I've never managed remotely or I'm yeah. managing, you know, the service industry or retail or I'm managing a younger generation because flexibility to your earliest point is not just being asked for by working parents, right? right. I'm right. Gen Z. I started my job as a remote employee. I've never had to come into the office for two years. I don't even know my managers. Why do I need to do it now right. when I'm producing and performing so this idea of flexibility is a much broader kind of category. It's not just for working mothers or parents. It's it's bigger. It's a bigger deal. And what does flexibility look like? But if you create flexibility options for your employees, you better have the right solution to make sure that you're giving both those that come into that office and yeah. those that are working from wherever the same level of visibility exposure, but more importantly, opportunities so let's double click into that right because <laughs> it's one thing to say it yeah it's a whole nother thing to put things in action and to make it happen so um for those of you out there who are like taking notes and like you know working your way through this so ask yourself a series of questions that will at least help give you some exposure so the first is like what is the culture of how people get promoted in your company so mm -hmm. Um, you know, how does it happen? Just, you just need to be really aware of the backstory of, Hey, that person just got that job. And what I've also found is, um, there's like a, a bifurcation of how it works when you're more junior, 
there people are more open to you posting for a role mm-hmm. and then considering folks in a pool. Many companies, when you get above a certain level, you can't post for the role, right? right. So that means they've already established a way to develop slates for the role. And most times it has nothing to do with that talent review process. It has to do with, hey, I know. is somebody getting pushed out of a job and it's somebody that we want to keep? Is it, you know, do we need to transit? Like, what are those things that are really the real unwritten rules around how people get promoted in your organization? So let's start with that. That's the first thing that you need to do. The second thing that I would say that you need to do is like, if you have people who have operated virtually on your team for a long time, pre-COVID, mm-hmm. and people have actively um, op, op, you know, act, act, worked in the office with you, do an evaluation of the, the kind of how your relationship status is, right? Yeah. Do you have that kind of a social connection with the people who work remotely as well as you do with the people internally? Because everybody knows the more senior you get, the more your professional life and your social life come together. Yes. And so if you don't have that kind of social connection with the people who have been working remotely and separately, then you have to ask yourself, well, how are you going to actually develop that? Can you do it through setting up a series of still virtual, maybe because, you know, you might have some people who just can't come to the office, but more social interactions that you can engage with a a really good friend of mine. um, Her birthday was this past weekend and she sent out this note and she was like, hey, um, you 10 women are some of the most amazing women that I love who are like really close to me. And I really want you guys to come together to celebrate my birthday. And so we're like, cool. So we got on a zoom on Sunday night and she was like, well, actually I have an ulterior motive. (laughs) My ulterior motive is that I actually think you all need to know each other Mm -hmm. and you need to get to know each other. So she started with having us introduce ourselves and how we knew her, how we got to develop a relationship with her and the ground rule was like, you had to keep it real. It couldn't be like, you know, oh, ho, 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 I met her or so-and-so. It had to be like, hey, here's, you know, how we met. These are the, some of the things we've been in the trenches with for a long time. And so, okay, fine. So she did that, which I thought was like really great. It was very basic, but we learned so much about each other through the lens of our relationship with her. Mm-hmm. And, and it's something that, you know, I was like, oh, wow. Okay. That's cool. So you could see themes that were consistent and you could also see things that were different in terms of the, how her relationship was with, with other people. And then the second part of the call with libation, of course, um, we um, played this game called Kahoot. And um, I don't know if you guys have played this before. I had never played it before. It's like an online game and you can do, I guess they have a series of preset games, but you can also set up your own questions in Kahoot. And so the first one was all about black culture. And so we had to see like, were were you hip and did you actually know black culture? And it was good because (laughs) you you could see the people with the competitive juices coming out and things that were going on. And the second part was really her opportunity to learn more about our preferences. Right. And we didn't really know that until after the end of the game. She's like, because I I really want this group to stay connected and to come together and to engage. And like, you know, her relationships and friendships are like for people in Hollywood, people in business, people in politics. So for me, it was like really awesome because I met all these fabulous women, most of them who were Deltas, 
Um, and, um, you know, now I have this new tribe of people that I have a chance to get to know, to help, to support. And one of them actually reached out this morning and was like, hey, very much like you, I have a desire to do certain things career-wise that mirror some of the things that you've done. Would you mind helping me? And I was like, absolutely. We can help each other. Like, this will be really great. So she and I are going to get together next week, which will be fantastic. It also helps that her daughter is in New York. And I was like, hey, look, you know, tell her to call us. We'll happy, happily feed her, support her. So I say all that to say is that that act alone of her bringing people together and creating a very you know safe space that was socially driven, but ended up having this kind of ulterior motive of creating relationship yeah. has now seeded all of the opportunities for these women who are on the call, for those of us who are on the call, to be connected. There's no reason why you can't do that as a leader in your organization or so something I like that. And you have to be intentional about it and you have to really dig into what are the relationships that you think you need to build together or have people connect with each other and do it in a way where it's not like competition. Yeah. It's actually all about the team, that you're getting their voice to the table. And more importantly, that you're using your gravitas to help move those people and give them exposure in your organization. Because that is going to be something that's just so critical to for the the people who are not going to be in the office who you know it's going to work better for them if you want them to keep growing and get promotions and get opportunities your political power and gravitas is going to go a really long way in helping make that happen for them yeah i i kind of forgot what i was going to say at the first oh, sorry. part of what you said so um <laughs> i'll go to the end but i i think there's a couple of things right so you know one i think that some managers and leaders are really good at doing this, right? I mean, even, you know, I was doing this in the banks that I worked for, we called them whisper networks, and they were groups of women that got around the table and, and talked about all of these things and then created, you know, our own mini networks for women that didn't know each other or weren't in the same line of business. I then took that and, and now we do that every single month at Luminary, or it's a curated list around the table. And it could be people that are, you know, in small business, founders, also working in the corporate world, but bringing those together because the power of relationships that we've talked about so much is, is so critical. I think internally yeah. in an organization, one of the things that I would share, whether you're at the very senior level, you're running a team in a call center, you're running a team of five. If you have people in the office and, and also remotely, don't just take the guy or the woman out for lunch because you happen to be there. If you do that, which is great, right? And we, I had that my whole career. If, a man, if your boss was like, hey, you want to go grab? Yes, right? Exposure. As a manager, you've got to also put in the work to do that remotely yes. for those teams that aren't coming in. For whatever reason, they're not, they're not in yeah. the office. And so if I've done that for the analysts in the office or the, those that are sitting in the call center or somebody at home, I've got to do parity for the yeah. people that are. And I said this last week, right? It's very basic and very simple. I have a team meeting or there's a project call, whatever it is. If people are in the office, great. If people are on the screen, terrific. Give the people on the screen the opportunity to speak first. Yes. Because normally they are the last to speak and they very rarely even get a word in because it's on the screen. So yep. consciously 
make that switch. And it's not just people you manage. It's yeah. a stakeholder meeting. It's a project yeah. meeting. And these little things, right? If you do it as a manager or as a leader of a project, others that are in that meeting will see that okay. and will likely take that as a best practice. And by the way, that's that ripple effect, right? So it doesn't have to be massive policy change because we know that takes time. But if it starts with bubbles up within that organization and, and we all know, you watch others, you're like, wow, that's great. I want to do that. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's so important that we actually put these things into practice versus great. Let's create this new policy that nobody follows. That's great. Um, and all, not just the women doing it. It's got to yes. be the men. It's got to be every single leader within that organization that are thinking about this in terms of. And if I do work remotely, I'm not penalized. Right. right? And and listen, folks are going to watch you. And they're going to pay attention. And you might say, hey, look, you know, um, if you work remotely, you won't be penalized. But if they see that every person who gets promoted in the next year are people who are in the office, they're going to not believe you. You know, I worked um, one of our teams, the head of our business unit, like just love product people and like always wanted to hire somebody who was in product. It was her comfort zone. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, you're going to have to broaden your thinking around this because if you just keep doing that, then you're going to have a whole group of people who are not going to believe that there's an opportunity for them to grow. Yeah. And it took a while. And finally, you know, we got some traction, but I had to point it out. And you might need to get creative, too, by the way. Um, and so, look, there's so many things that you can do. You can send them a gift card. You can order them lunch from their favorite mm -hmm. restaurant. You know, I had an... Um, there was a CEO who had tapped a search firm and he just wanted to connect with like really strong leaders in the marketplace. And I get a call. I was like, yeah, sure. I'd be happy to talk to him. And it was great because he and I have now become friends and it was wonderful discussion with him. And, but what was fascinating is um, he had his assistant reach out to me to find out like, what was my favorite breakfast food in my neighborhood? And I was like, well, we don't really do that. But like, there's this like really awesome donut place um, around the corner from our house. And so he delivered donuts for our family. And she yeah. actually asked like, what were our favorite donuts? Like, so she, you know, the doorbell rang 30 minutes before our conversation and there were donuts and coffee there for everybody and hot chocolate for everybody in the family. And I was like, you know what, that's actually really creative. And that was another reason why I felt really good about connecting with him because he actually, he was the one who directed and asked for it. It wasn't somebody saying, Hey, look, um, you know, you might want to do this for them or his assistant doing it. He was the one who asked to actually make it happen. And that said to me a lot to me about who he was as a person and, you know, the level of him paying attention and empathy that he brought. And so, you know, it has been, you know, he's really just a, a wonderful leader and a great connector of people. And because of that, you know, he's been like, hey, look, call me anytime. Yeah. And, you know, he also was the one was I was like when I decided to leave my last role and I was like, OK, so here's how I'm thinking about it. And he was like, no, stop. You have three things to do for the next seven months. And I was like, OK, what are those? He was like, you're going to take the summer off. You're going to um, spend quality time with your daughter and you're going to have fun with your family. Like, that's it. You don't need to do anything else. And I was like, for real, you think that's not going to be crazy? And so I'm so glad that I took his advice because it was really great. Yeah. But it's going to take you getting creative. Yeah, getting creative. And I think even just, you know, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but some of the boards that I'm on, we have long meetings, right? And they're mm -hmm. virtual. 
and they're not yet started in person. And even when it does, not everybody's going to be flying around the country to join these virtual. So right. getting lunch cards, right? So everyone's yeah. got a little bit of budget, like or a code for Seamless. Hey, got 25 bucks in Seamless. Order lunch on us right. uh, because we've all historically, even for client meetings. Right. You're trying to engage with a client and yes. normally you would have taken them out for a meal and it's lunch or breakfast. This is a great way to just to think about creatively. How do you work in this new hybrid world without penalizing someone because they're not in that physical space? I also think that, you know, and, and this is a, more of a broader conversation we'll talk about next week is as we think about hiring. Right attracting and, and retaining talent and hiring talent, both externally and internally. How do your processes and your policies reflect that hiring process? Um, and so I know we're at time mm -hmm. next week, we're gonna have Elisabetta Bartoloni, who is the head of the global markets practice at Hydrogen Struggles, has been in the search world for years and years and years, talk about what she's hearing from candidates, right? Which are in the driver's seat right now, Yep. but also what she's hearing from enterprise clients and how they're looking at proximity bias, how they're looking at flexibility, and more importantly, how they're getting people in the door. Yes. And so if there's nothing else you take away from today's conversation, one is recognize that proximity bias is a thing. Number two, learn to the extent that proximity bias exists and how you think you're going to overcome it. And most importantly, tune in next week so you can get some great tips from Elizabetha about how, how what she's saying in the marketplace. So we are appreciative of you all joining our conversations. Thanks again for the feedback. Continue to send us questions. Send us potential topics that you'd like to hear us address. You know how we do it around here. We keep it all the way real <laughs> because we want you to actually be equipped with real tools to navigate as opposed to things that like make you feel good but don't really help you. So Thanks for tuning in to Navigating the Work Compass. I am Susan Chapman Hughes. And, and I'm Kate Luzio. And we'll awesome. see you next week. See you next week. Stay safe, everyone. Yes. Yeah.